Philip Yancey once noted that everyone prays. Every faith has some form of prayer. Even atheists, he noted, find ways to pray. Someone once quipped that as long as teachers give exams, there will be prayer in school. We pray for health, for rain, for harvests, for children. We pray to capture God's attention. We pray to thank someone for the beauties of life. We pray because we're sorry, or we pray because we're afraid. Prayer, says Yancey, is universal because it speaks to some basic human need. Prayer is one of the essential ingredients of human life. At least in theory. Prayer ranks high in theoretical importance, but in practice, we often pray sporadically because we find prayer confusing, frustrating, unsatisfying. There's a gap between our sense that prayer connects us with the God of the universe and then the amount of time we devote to prayer. Even as Christians, we may want to pray continually so that we will offer God the thankfulness required, but our desires may not become practice. Maybe that's why the Reformed Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, asks the question, what's the kind of prayer that pleases God and that he listens to? And the first part of the answer is, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God. So over the next number of weeks, we're going to consider some of what the Bible teaches about prayer from the heart. We'll explore together what's involved in prayer from the heart and the impact that prayer from the heart has on our lives. And today, we want to begin with a scripture reading from Exodus 33. Recognize that prayer from the heart seeks God. Prayer is bold to search out God's presence in our lives. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 33. We'll begin reading at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked, because I'm pleased with you and know you by name. And Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I'll cause, all my, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. 
And then the Lord instructs Moses to uh, chisel out two stone tablets, to prepare those tablets uh, like the first ones that he had made on Mount Sinai. And then he carried those two tablets in his, in his hands. And then we begin reading in uh, verse 5, The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. There was a book filled with uh, uh, children's letters to God. Uh, Children wrote to God to ask him the questions that, that they found pressing in life. A boy named Andrew wrote one of the questions in the book. If we pray, there's a chance that we've raised the same question that uh, Andrew asked. Dear God, why do we talk to you if you don't talk back to us? Imagine if prayer were like a coffee conversation with God. If you can imagine that, then you would be in Moses' shoes. Exodus 33 shows Moses in conversation with God. It's kind of like a prayer, a prayer seeking God. Moses wants to know that God is there. See, God's presence matters in our lives. We'd like to know that God's on our side. We'd like to be sure that the the maker of the universe is in our corner. We want to know that we matter to God. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us, asks Moses. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Israel stands on the threshold of the promised land. It's at this moment that Moses prays boldly to God. But before we get to Moses' prayer, let's refresh ourselves on the story. The, the great escape had been made. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They escaped the clutches of Pharaoh, even when he cornered them by the Red Sea. And God was with them. God remained with Israel in the form of the tabernacle. God had said to Moses, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. See, this wasn't a a, a weekend visit from God. God planned to live with Israel always. God envisioned an intimate relationship with his people. God would go with them. God would, would destroy their enemies. God would lead them into a land full of promise. All the people had to do was to obey God's will, follow God's desire. Intimacy with God would be theirs if they followed God's commands. Unfortunately, the the people trample on God's desire. Moses heads up to Mount Sinai to have a chat with God. The people get bored waiting for Moses to come back. They want a word from God, but it isn't coming. So they commission Aaron to make for them a golden calf. Come, make us gods who go before us, says Israel. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. 
God has put up with Israel through all their defiance in the desert. And now they worship a golden calf. It's a a last straw moment. God responds with a plague to judge the people. But Moses intervenes and God relents. Then, in the beginning of chapter 33, God issues new marching orders. He tells Moses to leave Mount Sinai and to take the people to the promised land. God will send an angel before them to destroy their enemies. God's power will be on full display. God will bring them to this land flowing with milk and honey. The wealth of the land of Canaan will be at their fingertips. Despite their complete failure, God will still bless Israel. They'll receive everything they've been hoping for. It's just this issue. God says he won't go with them. And Moses says, no dice. It's not enough to have God's power with them. It's not enough to gain the wealth of the world. And that's where we pick up Moses' prayer. Moses' conversation with God. Look, says Moses, this deal you have in mind isn't going to work. Moses calls God's attention to the covenant relationship. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you, says Moses. Remember, this nation is your people. Moses doesn't want some display of God's power. Moses wants the favor of God's friendship. Moses wants more than the the wealth of the land of Canaan. Moses wants to know God. God says, I'll give you wealth, power, fame. It's just that I won't be there. And Moses says, keep it. You can have everything. Keep the full ride scholarship. Keep the athletic championships. Keep your million dollar job. Keep your millions of dollar winning lottery ticket. None of it matters without your presence. Moses doesn't want any of it if God isn't with them. And God replies, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. That's what Moses wants. God. God with them. If your presence does not go with us, Don't send us up from here, says Moses. Oh, they were certainly a powerless people. I mean, they'd been subjected as slaves for over 400 years. Complete military mastery probably looked pretty good to them. And they were a a landless people. They wanted nothing more than this land of promise. A land flowing with milk and honey certainly appealed to them. But Moses knew that the only thing that the Israelites really had going for them was this relationship with God. Success, power, money, might, they're all nothing without God. Moses knows the truth. Any of the power or wealth apart from God will fade. Moses says, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. 
without God's presence in the center of our lives, there's nothing. Uh, Moses puts it boldly to God. He doesn't want any gift from God that doesn't include a relationship with God. And God says, okay, then yes, I will go with you. And Moses presses forward. Moses wanted more. Show me your glory. Moses wanted to see God in all his majesty. Uh, Glory is a word that means weightiness. And Moses wants to see God for all that God is. He wants to feel the the weightiness of who God is. Moses doesn't want to connect with God just to get something out of God. Moses wants God. I mean, too often we only want God for what we can get from God. We we treat God like a a cosmic vending machine. Put in the right prayers and the right obedience and, and out pops the treat of our choice. Now, it is true. Prayers from the heart include petitions for what we need. We will see that in the coming weeks. Pastor Tim Keller once noted this. When we feel guilty, we are desperate for God's love. And when we're weak, we long to experience God's power. When we're confused, we need to know God's wisdom. But wanting God's glory is different. God's glory is is more than relating to God for what we can get from God. One commentator writes, God's glory is the outward manifestation of God's intrinsic holiness, the holiness that distinguishes God from human beings. So Moses says, I want to see you as you really are in all your splendor. Moses longs to witness all the worth and the power of God. He wants to see the the beauty of the Lord touching his life. He wants to experience the pleasure of being immersed in God. One person notes that, that God's glory refers to God's majesty, might, and glory as manifested in nature, in his providence, in his laws, in his judgments. God's glory is what connects to God himself. We sometimes talk about experiences that would, would, would put us in our glory. Uh, some of us would be in our glory if the A's win the World Series. Uh, other of us w- would be in our glory if we had the chance to speak with the president. Moses would be in his glory being in the presence of the mighty and majestic creator of all things. Moses wants to see the glory of the God who created the universe. Why? Because in God's glory, Moses would realize that life gains new meaning. I mean, you know the experience. You, you go out on a, on, on a dark summer night, the, the sky is, is full of stars, and you're overwhelmed with a sense that the world massive as it is, bigger than you in every regard, somehow makes your life meaningful. Life means something. You mean something. The the satisfaction of that moment pushes you outside of yourself. Your pressing problems fade away. Uh, The daily needs that you have leave your mind. The the hymn, Love Divine All, Love's Excelling, puts it like this. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. 
That's what Moses wants. That's the glory that Moses desires. That glory of being lost in wonder, love, and praise of God. Moses wants to be lost in the overwhelming meaning of God's glory. Show me your glory, says Moses. And God says, no. God knows that by seeing God's face, the the deepest longings of his soul would be met. God knows that uh, if if he looked us in the eyes with love, we would be assured that we matter, matter to God, matter in the world, matter eternally. God knows all of this, but there is something more. God says to Moses, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. We cannot see God's glory face to face and live I could show you my glory, but then you'd have to die. And the reason is given in Exodus 33, verse 3. You're a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. God's infinite, majestic holiness would destroy us if we saw him face to face for all that he is. God's greatness would overwhelm our smallness. God tells Moses he cannot see the fullness of his glory. It'd be like looking at the sun. He'd destroy himself. Moses would not be able to comprehend all the nature of God, for there is this boundary between God and humanity. So the one thing in the world that would be invaluable to God's people, seeing God's glory is the one thing that God says, Moses, you cannot have. But the story doesn't end there. Instead of showing his glory, God agrees to show Moses the backside of his glory. He promised to show Moses his goodness. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. In some way, God gives Moses more than he requested, but less than what Moses wants. He will pass by. Moses will see the back parts of God's glory, but because he doesn't see God's face, he won't die. God could let Moses see his goodness, the the sum of his nature, pass by in a flash. Uh, Like an ancient ritual for making covenant, God proclaims his name. God answers Moses' question about who he really is, who this God is that will accompany Moses in Israel. And more, God speaks to Moses about his way. Moses hears God tell of his mercy, grace, and love. Moses doesn't see God's glory face to face. He sees it as in a a rear-view mirror. God will be present to lead, but the people won't see God directly. They will only see God in the signs afterwards. They will see God's glory in his goodness on display. We catch sight of God's glory by looking back to see what God has done. We see how a bad situation worked for good, and God was there. We reflect on how something played out. We know only God could have accomplished it. That's God's goodness. We look at a series of events, and we know that all the pieces could come together only through God's direction. That's God's goodness. At every turn, like Moses, we catch sight of the backside of God's glory. That's how God came to Moses. 
Exodus 34 tells us that the Lord came down in a cloud and he passed by Moses proclaiming his name, his essence. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes his children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. God reveals the essence of his goodness. God is infinitely loving, wanting to pardon and forgive. And God is infinitely just, never letting sin go unpunished. Infinitely loving, infinitely just. This is God's goodness. And when Moses saw it, he had the greatest experience of worship in his life. He he saw the backside of God's glory. He saw this goodness of God. And he bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. But there's something even greater for us. It's the very basis for our faith. It's the reason why we pray. Not because God will give us what we want. Not because we can confess and be forgiven. Not even because prayer makes us feel kind of good. No, there's something even greater. The Gospel of John in the first chapter says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a human. That Word made His dwelling literally means tabernacled means he set up a tent in our neighborhood so that he was present to us. Jesus came right into our midst. And then John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Jesus shows us the glory of God. We see in Jesus what Moses only caught a glimpse of. In Jesus, we see the God's glory full of grace and truth. Jesus shows us an infinitely just God, punishing our sin, punishing all sin. Jesus was forsaken. God turned his face away from him. Jesus got what we deserved. Jesus received what we fear the most, being neglected and abandoned by God. And we see God infinitely loving. Jesus suffered so that all he did, so that all of us, could belong to God forever. One of our church teachings says, I'm not my own, but belong. I matter. I count. I'm worthy. My name is engraved on his hand. I'm not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with His precious blood. And He's set me free from the tyranny of the devil. In Jesus Christ, God caused all of His goodness to pass before us so that we could catch sight of God's glory. That's where prayer from the heart begins. We see the greatness of God in Jesus Christ. We see God's glory in His one and only Son. 
And so we are bold to pray. We're bold to seek God because we have gained a a sense of God's glory in Jesus Christ. Like Moses, we press for God's presence in our lives. It's not enough for us to gain success in life. Wealth or power or fame, they're all insufficient. Nothing in our lives matters without the presence of God. And we begin our prayer from the heart, seeking God. We want God. We begin our prayer seeking the one who sent his son Jesus to be present with us. The one who showed us God's glory. Prayer from the heart begins not by seeking what we can get from God, but by simply seeking God. We want to know God's glory. Let's pray together. Lord, you are our light and our salvation. In your presence we see light. Oh, Lord, we seek your face. We seek your glory. Show us your goodness. Lord, we long for your presence in our lives. Lord, we want to see your goodness now and forever. So we quiet ourselves before you, waiting for you. Our hearts take courage as we wait for your presence in our lives. Amen.